a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Pretty straightforward episode. Uh, we do have some listener questions, but most of them are on the, the same two topics. First segment will be devoted to uh, Jalen Mayfield's decision to declare for the 2021 NFL Draft. And then the second half, we'll talk a little bit. We'll see how much we have to say or, or, or you know, answer some of the questions, but about the uprising from parents and players and a little bit of coaches, although the coaches have been mostly quiet. But regardless, we can start with Mayfield's decision and we can simply start with instant reaction. I think this was something, if I had made a list of players who I thought, you know, would, would just say, no matter what happens with this current academic year, spring season or whatever, I'm going pro. I think Mayfield would have been toward the top of the list because his perceived draft stock was so high. I actually was a little surprised. I don't know about you, Steve, because when I heard about his first round grade or talked to draft analysts or, or scouts or whatever, the, the perception I always got was that um, was that he was kind of like a, a, a show, a prove it for 12 more games and then be a first round pick. Like, like they really liked his last three or four games of last season, especially the Ohio state game and the Alabama game. I think we've, we both agree. He might've been the best player on Michigan's team in that Alabama game. And so certainly they really liked that, but there is something to be said for doing it for a full season. And so I know, um, you know, I know a couple people in our network have kind of mentioned that like, Hey, his potential is as high as anybody's, but, but show it for a full season. So I was a little surprised that he was the first one. I'm not necessarily surprised that he declared for the 2021 NFL draft. I, I think anyone who's getting first round draft grades probably should, but I was a little, not, not John the floor, but kind of like, Oh, interesting. You know, apparently whatever, whatever draft grade he received was, was encouraging enough for him to, to say no to any sort of season this year. And, and who knows, maybe there isn't a season this year as well. But Steve, your your instant reaction, did it classify as a surprise to you or, or were you pretty sure this shoe was going to drop at some point? Uh, I would say mildly surprised. So sort of along the same lines as you where I thought it was a these projected first round you know, mock drafts with him in it were, yeah, were based more off of a building off of the last part of last season into a, a great season this year, right? I think that was kind of the anticipation, especially the offensive line is so – I feel like it's one of the harder project, uh, positions to project both coming from high school to college and from going to college to the NFL. So would have thought more film would maybe help him in that regard, but not like – I'm not like super shocked necessarily right. um, just because he'd have to go from – a 12 game or however many games they'll play this spring season to right into a combine type deal. You would think uh, might just make more sense to prepare 
for a potential combine and impress in that regard. So mildly surprised, not shocked, but disappointing for Michigan. I mean, it's, I, I, I got to assume that Michigan fans are out there thinking, you know, Ohio state's got a star quarterback. Who's a projected top five pick in the draft. Who's like starting petitions to try to play, to play in the fall. <laughs> and Michigan has guys who you think would need another good year to get into that first round and, and they're already leaving. So I think, Probably some disappointment, I assume, from the Michigan fans, but not like a, you know, super shocking surprise or anything to me necessarily. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I we can get into this question. Uh, Euler Sinistage, I hope I said that right, said, "Why can't Michigan fans have nice things?" And and like obviously, it's tongue in cheek, and and every school has a player that leaves seemingly before maybe the fans feel like they really arrived even in college. And so I, I, I certainly sympathize with Michigan fans, though, where it's kind of like, you know, and, and I guess you could argue Purdue is in the same boat with Rondell Moore, Minnesota uh, with Rashad Bateman, Micah Parsons at Penn State. Now he was a two-year starter. But, yeah, I mean, some, some you know, with this three-year deal, and, and I will say, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is advocating for players to potentially leave even earlier if they've proven themselves. And so um, you bring up a good point about the if, if they're playing in the spring, you know, is Jalen Mayfield, is he going to prove himself more playing in the spring season or play, or doing the combine and team workouts? And I think that's a decision every player has to think about is because I think you can do both. You know, I think, I think there are players whose on-field performance in a spring season could probably do the talking. And then I think there are players, and I don't know what the NFL would do for the draft. My, my thing is I cover the Major League Baseball draft. You know, there's, there's been times where we interviewed a player one night, you know, at the in the NCAA tournament, and then the next night he's drafted in the second round, and it's like, oh well, his whole whole life just changed, you know, mid season. And so, don't know what the NFL would do, and I, I think that might be part of the decision too. Is I know he's going to be someone that does really well at the combine because his his story was always very athletic. I mean, he even said it in his goodbye post, uh, you know, athletic, arguably undersized. But then he built the size, and he didn't lose the speed and athleticism. He didn't lose the footwork. He was strong in pass protection, uh, which is huge right now, obviously, in the NFL. And so, yeah, he, I think he's someone who's going to go to the combine and you know, what do they call it, the spark score. I think he's going to have a very good spark score for an offensive lineman. I, won, I wonder if it can be like a Tristan Wirfs type situation. And so, uh, certainly, I again, you know, I see – I feel – for the Michigan fans out there who are like, he barely played. And I think I even joked on Twitter. I think he set the record for fewest availabilities before becoming an NFL player <laughs> uh, with three at Michigan. And so that, and which is, you know, it can't, again, he redshirted his freshman year and then played one year. He was an offensive lineman. So obviously we're going to talk to him a little bit less, but I, I can't really, I, I, I again, it kind of depends on the draft grade he got, but pretty much everyone we've talked to and or heard from or read about this off season has said, yeah, he's probably, I mean, if he's not a first round pick, he's probably a top 100 pick if he declares even, even without showing more. And so that's a nice chunk of coin. Uh, now for Michigan, we got a couple questions about this. Uh, Zeb plus Giles season said projecting starting O line. Now that Mayfield is declared. And then another question, how does Mayfield's announcement affect your outlook on the future of Michigan's O-line? And then 
one more on it. Uh, JTOG X says, who gains the most stock with Mayfield declaring? Feels like Stuver's a shoe in at tackle. Probably frees up a guard spot. You know, talking about Filiaga um, and, and, you know, talking about Ed Warner. So, Steve, we've, we did our draft of uh, – actually, Jalen Mayfield was number one in our draft of, you know, kind of the, the Michigan's most important players. And so um, – but Ryan Hayes was pretty high up there too. Sure. And then I think we, we all – both of us felt Andrew Stuber and Carson Barnhart, two players who seem likely to be among the best five at guard. Got to think – Michigan's going to look pretty hard at one of them potentially moving to tackle. And I, so, oh, sorry. I, I, oh, go ahead. I'm just thinking like, what, what, what do you think of the immediate aftermath, the tackles <clears throat> uh, to keep an eye on? Uh, I would watch Carson Barnhart mm-hmm. to potentially be a guy maybe to take over at the right. So Carson Barnhart, really a, a, Lot like Mayfield. Yeah, and a Bredesen, like a guy that Michigan has felt comfortable putting him really anywhere. And absolutely like Mayfield as far as the athleticism and the ability. I think Michigan is as excited about Barnhart as they have been about, well, as they were about Mayfield and as they were about Hayes when they brought those guys in. So, you know, I think he's definitely a name to watch as far as the tackle deal goes. I think Stuber probably sticks and battles it out at one of the guard positions. I know another guy to really watch closely at guard now is uh, Trevor Keegan, I think is another name to watch. Right. As far as a guy pretty highly touted, getting an opportunity, you know, here. But that's a name I feel like we're going to hear more and more about. And, uh, I mean, how old is it? I'm looking at it right now. It's it's a little less than a week old. I could probably, you know, Sam had a great report. Guy, I've also heard good things on too, but Sam had another report last week about Zach Zinter, true mm-hmm. freshman, who has been uber impressive, uh, and his futures in the interior as well. So, right, those are a few names I'd kind of keep an eye on. I, I do think Barnhart is going to be the guy that slides out and plays tackle, though. Um, and I think just think Michigan is really excited about the potential there. Now, would they rather have Mayfield this year? Obviously, they would. Sure, yeah, um, <laughs> but but I do think. They feel like Barnhart could be as good as Mayfield, if not better, eventually. But, you know, we never really got to see Mayfield, I think, what we would have seen him at his best, you know, if he had played this season. So, you know, yeah. either way, Michigan, very excited. This is where you are glad that you took your six in 2019 for a situation like this. And that the returns on those most of those guys we've heard good things about, definitely heard good things about Keegan, Carpenter and Barnhart for sure. Uh, not that we haven't heard things about the other guys, but those are the three guys I think you could realistically, all three of those guys, I think have a legit chance to start this season. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I think all three. It's so weird saying this season because <laughs> we don't know when that will be. But but I, I agree, you know, Carpenter um, kind of penciled in starting center and then, and then Keegan – I'll I'll take a look and and because initially I didn't see him as a starter I kind of saw him as a maybe 2021 option but I'll take a look but I know Barnhart is someone that Michigan is extremely excited about and uh, to the point where I think we've mentioned it a few times this summer so I uh, hope hope we're not repeating ourselves too much but Barnhart there's a strong belief that among all of the offensive linemen that weren't named Jalen Mayfield he could be the very best one and so. Lots of excitement there, and I think you're right. I think, um, if I, as I recall, he was a basketball player. He was he was always kind of a lot like Mayfield, un, slightly undersized, 
know, athletic, really good footwork recruit. The, you know, the Ed Warner was like, I I'll turn you, I know exactly what I'm going to do with you. And that's, that's usually a good sign with recruits is when the coaches know exactly kind of what your next two or three years are going to look like. Well, you, you have situations like Jalen Mayfield, who obviously uh, was the exception. The year is the season is weird. He would not have skipped his 2020 season. If, if there was one in the fall, uh, you know, he's someone that I know he grew up a Michigan fan as, as, unless I'm mistaken, uh, loved Michigan. I, you know, I don't think he's like trying to get out of Dodge as soon as possible, but if there's no fall season, maybe it would not hurt him to get connected with an agent, you know, to the question, why now get connected with an agent, start training, you know, full time at this. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I would think Barnhart probably benefits the most. I do think it gives everyone a slightly better chance of starting. You know, think about Chuck Filiaga, thinking about Andrew Stuber, uh, you know, Nolan Rumler is another name on the inside, and then Zach Zinter as well, um, who, as you said, right now he's only 300 pounds, but his future is probably in the interior. I think, I think they all, I mean, it's, it's a guaranteed starter who's no longer there, and so that's another position battle. Uh, Steve, on a on a one to ten scale, what would you what would your confidence be that Michigan can have? Oh, let's say a top twenty offensive line in the country. I think I'd argue they were there in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, uh, but obviously every starter from that unit is gone last season. You know, I know Stuber has a couple games of starting experience. I know that uh, Ryan Hayes has a couple games of starting experience. But, you know, with Ed Warner, obviously that's something that Michigan fans have, there's a lot of comfort in what he can do, especially now that it's his own recruits. Uh, you know, hearing that Michigan has at least a few players that they're very excited about. If you could do a 1-10, to 10, what would your confidence level be that Michigan will have a top 20-ish offensive line in the country? whenever it plays next? I'm going to say six. So here's the thing. Like you're seeing other big time programs across the country are, are finding offensive linemen that are playing early and are excelling at a high level, Alabama, Clemson, uh, Ohio state, et cetera, et cetera. These guys coming up in this 19 class are guys that Michigan beat those programs for. You know, we talk about Keegan, they beat Georgia, they beat Penn State. For Carpenter, they beat Clemson head-to-head. Barnhart, not as so much, but we've all – again, we have to go back on that, we've all said that the belief is that Barnhart might be the best of that group in the, in the 19 class. Uh, Trent Jones, they beat out a lot of big-time programs for. So you got to think – and you, t- you talk about Warner getting the guys that he likes. I think that's an important note too, and, and getting his guys, uh, you know – not overly confident that it'll happen, but I also am not, you know, that's why I think six is like a safe spot to where I think there's, I think there's a possibility it could still happen. I think Hayes is a guy that could take that leap. I think that's something they've expected. And we talk about Barnhart Carpenter, and then, you know, just really come down to how, who wins those guard battles is going to be fascinating. You know, does Stuber win it out? Do the young guy like Keegan, Nolan Rumler, another guy, uh, you know, that's going to be in the mix there too. So, be fascinating to see who comes out in those interior jobs. Uh, but either way, I mean, at the, at, at worst, they're going to be loaded for the foreseeable future. If they have a three second year guys winning starting jobs, you know? And so 
uh, well, four if possible. I mean, we could, well, who knows? So I, I'd say six, though. That's probably where I'm going to sit on this one. Yeah, I'm actually not, I'm not always, but I'm actually slightly, I'm more in the seven range in terms of being a top 20 offensive line. Not that that's drastically different than six, but, but I think, I think there's just a lot of depth now. And that, that makes the variance, you know, I, I think the floor is raised for Michigan's offensive line. And I think that, I think that Ed Warner, one thing that it seems like he's really able to do is push in practice all the way up into, you know, through, through the season. I mean, we look at the, the development that, well, last year it was Mayfield, but the year before it was Runyon. How much better did he get throughout the season? And, and he, I mean, that's not a Michigan-specific thing, but I do feel like since Ed Warner has arrived, you've seen players continue to progress throughout the season. And so in terms of the next time they play, uh, one, they might have a little bit more time than they initially were going to have. And then two, I think, I think that there's enough players who are going to compete that the floor is relatively high. And then I think, I mean, it's not a mistake that all five starters, are, you know, in the game that the, the only game they've played so far in 2020 in January 1st, all five are NFL linemen. When two, three years ago, I don't know if anyone knew if all five were going to be off in NFL linemen. I think people felt good about Ruiz and Bredesen, uh, but didn't know what their ceiling or what they were going to look like, didn't know what their careers were going to be. And um, really exceptional assistant, you know, for an assistant coach uh, to come in and, and reverse course of a unit. And now they, they've got like 13, 14, 15 guys who were either four star recruits or you know three stars who had four star offers i know that's something that gets talked about in recruiting a lot is some some school if if enough big time schools you know i think zach carpenter is a good example um you know it doesn't really matter what his rating is because a couple big time schools really liked him and so yeah i think the floor is pretty high and then i think the ceiling can be can still be high now mayfield again it's going to take a hit without mayfield but the fact that every single position, there's at least two guys that Michigan, quote, feels good about. You can take that for whatever that's worth because we haven't seen them play. But every single position, there's at least something. And I think when Michigan had its offensive line issues last decade, you know, the, the couple different times that they did, I think a lot of it came down to a lack of depth. You know, you've mentioned the, was it the 2013 offensive line recruiting class that just couldn't catch a break and you had so many so many you know just a different myriad of issues where they they didn't have the full set they didn't have all these competitions that they have now so I'm slightly more confident not more confident than had Mayfield stayed that would obviously be more but I I I feel like Michigan may not be all Americans in the group, but I think as a unit, they can be a top 20 offensive line in the country. Uh, anything else, any final thoughts on the offensive line? Who, who's Michigan's putting the spotlight on now or some of the battles you expect to happen during, well, I guess they're still practicing, so they might sort some of it out now. Not really. I mean, we've covered, we did a good in-depth breakdown month and a half, two months ago on it. And, and the only thing that's changed now is that Mayfield's not there. So like I said, I think Barnhart 
probably the likely candidate to slide outside. Mm-hmm. Keegan, the hot name now on the interior to maybe win one of those jobs, you know, but the rest of the names are the same. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there, there is a couple question marks. You know, chemistry is one, experience is the other. Uh, we'll have to see how it develops. And obviously, if they aren't playing until February, they, they have some time. But with that, we'll, we'll curtail the Jalen Mayfield talk. We'll hit a quick break. And on the other side, we'll talk about Michigan still practicing, the Big Ten revolt. I don't know what to call it, but we'll talk about it and talk through all the key questions there. Uh, we'll be right back in a moment. All right, and welcome back. So let's start here. Uh, I, I had a story today about Michigan still practicing, and Jer Schmidt asked a pretty fair question. Roughly what percentage of the team is still practicing slash on campus? And, and so we know of at least three players who are not. Uh, Mayfield is one. Mayfield might still be practicing, but regardless, he, I, would, I would imagine he's practicing for his pro career, not for the team. Uh, Christian Turner said he was opting out. My assumption is that that means that he would be going home. And then freshman safety Jordan Morant, uh, I guess he has a a vlog, but he posted that he was um, partly due to injury, partly to to see his family. Uh, He was back in New Jersey. And so, Steve, I don't think, you know, we're not sitting outside Beckler Hall taking role. Um, but, but I, I think it's still pretty high. I mean, uh, you know, when I saw the, the, I only looked for like 20 seconds, but it seemed like a pretty full practice and, and kind of what we've talked about a few times for these players, this is their careers. I mean, pretty much every scholarship player who arrives on Michigan's campus is, is thinking the, about the pros. Now, of course, not all of them get there, but, um, certainly, to them, it's, it's an investment, even, even if there are, even if you might be more comfortable at home, uh, might be slightly safer at home, but I would assume it's still pretty high. I would guess probably 95% of the scholarship players are, are still on campus, still practicing because one thing with Michigan, they didn't get any spring practices. I think Ohio state got five. Some schools got more Michigan got zero. So this is a big opportunity for the players who are trying to climb their way up the depth chart as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and until classes actually start or however they're doing that now, uh, I don't know how you argue that they're safer at home anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think as things stand at this very moment, I don't think they're in a safer spot than they possibly could be than they are, you know, basically. Not if they need to work out. Like, if you have your home gym, I guess technically you are. But I don't think most players do. And so if you need well, to but work if they're out practicing, regularly. But if they're practicing and working out with the same guys every day. Right. It's pretty safe, yeah. That's what I mean. And so, like, I mean, I already see, you know, we see that Morant went home because of injury and stuff. And, like, I mean, he went out to a practice. Not a problem. This is not a negative thing. I'm just saying, you know, went out to was out at a practice with just some other guys from Jersey. You know, guys that he hasn't been around in months like so it's like yeah i think the, the guys who are on campus right now are, are at least i'd say this they're at least as safe yes as the guys who are yeah. who have maybe made the choice to go home which again i don't think there's a problem either way with whatever these guys decide to do um and yeah like you said moran he's also you know getting through some minor injuries and stuff but 
yeah, no, I mean, I saw your pick. I mean, it's, yeah, it looked like most of the team is still there, and that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, you know, we talked the theme of this whole thing has been, you know, how the team has kind of approached this as a an opponent in a way, and I think that's sort of continuing with how they're, you know, still out there. I think you, you got to wonder, and I know that's kind of what this is going to transition into our conversation that transitioned into, is you kind of wonder if some of these guys are still holding out slight hope that they'll get to play in the fall, you know, and so yeah. I think that's probably a small part of it too. But like you said, though, I think the biggest thing is just being able to practice and being able to work and being able to, you know, yeah, at least create impression in the coaches' minds that you've been working. And then for some of these guys, because there are a lot of spots up for grabs, uh, you know, to see, mm-hmm. to show that, showcase what you've been doing and, and how hard you work this off season and parlay that into an opportunity in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and think about it from a coaching perspective. You didn't have spring practice, and, and you had maybe a couple practices before they canceled the whole thing, maybe three or four legit ones plus a couple weeks of walkthroughs. But if you just say, nope, that's all, see you next time, well, suddenly they might go 10 months without practicing with their you know, coaching and practice. Like you, need to have a, you need to have a better sense of, of where your players are at. And so I, you know, I, I, I think we'll talk about it in a moment, but my expectation would be that, um, you know, the big 10 allows up to 20 hours a week of practices in the fall. Um, it's all voluntary. And, you know, as we mentioned, Morant is someone who chose to go home. Um, and so, and, and everything is voluntary at this point in time, but yeah, some practice is better than no practice, even if, even if they don't end up playing in the fall. And so, um, you know, some people were like, why, why are they doing this? And it's like, well, they didn't get to practice in the spring. And when you do practice in the spring, it's not like the season is that close by, but you still do it to, to kind of figure out your depth, give players something that they know they need to work on. If they, if they're going off on their own, um, you know, kind of work on the chemistry. We talked about the offensive line, but also the passing game, uh, and probably the defense as well. A lot of new faces on the defense. And so, uh, there's lots to work on. You know, Michigan's coming off a nine and four season. It's not like they can sit back and say, Oh yeah, it'll work. <laughs> you know, like they, yeah, they've got a lot that they want to work on and a lot that they want to be better at. So uh, percentage again, without taking role really hard to to tell, but it's, it did seem like the bulk of players are back. And I think anyone who isn't probably is either nursing an injury or, has a has a particular reason to be extra cautious as far as the uh the other part of this discussion there is a, a bit of an uprising i think seems to be really led by iowa and ohio state uh, but i think michigan and i think uh, nebraska and i think penn state if i'm not mistaken has kind of kind of joined in the discussion that maybe the big 10 made their decision prematurely and that the lack of transparency has has irked uh, parents of players, and and um, you know the players themselves are frustrated. And I, I know Jim Harbaugh kind of his statement after the decision was made was that was not exactly as understanding as some of you know the other coaches or athletic directors who made statements. And so um, clearly, there's some frustration. I think a good amount of it is warranted, but 
Steve, now we're talking about, uh, you know, I think it's Sean Wade's dad who's planning a, a peaceful protest outside the Big Ten's offices in Rosemont on, on Friday. And, and I think Iowa parents are going as well. And, and so your thoughts on, on some of this? I know, I know Michigan parents, um, they, they sent out a collective letter calling for a reversal of the, of the decision yesterday. I had a story about that if you want to go check it out at 24-7 Sports. Uh, but your thoughts on on some of this? I, I'm actually not surprised it's happening because when the decision was made, I really thought that they were just going to push everything back a few weeks and wait for more information. And I, I my understanding is that there were people at, within Michigan and within other schools that kind of thought that's what was going to happen, even even on the Monday and Tuesday that it did happen. Uh, that happened the other way. So I was a little surprised they didn't just punt a few weeks. And so when I'm surprised by the decision, then I'm not surprised that a lot of people are ups- are upset. But your thoughts and and I guess one other thing to throw in there, Justin Fields' petition, I think it's over 300,000 signatures now. Um, so clearly this has become a national story that the Big Ten probably didn't want to be a national story a whole week later. No, what's the old adage? Don't make a one-day story a... Two days, Two sorry. Days and now we're, we're on to, yeah, like you said, almost a week. I think, you know, like, the gripe is, where the, is with the transparency, correct? I mean, that's, and, and really, that's, yeah, yeah. and really, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. Whether you agree with the Big Ten's decision or not, it was pretty much just kind of made. And it was made with, you know, like I said, like, I think I tweeted about it. Uh, clown show was the phrase that was used towards me from a couple different sources about how this played out behind the scenes. It sounds like not about you, right? No, I'm not. No, not me. No way. <laughs> Never. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, good one. And, uh, but no, so clown show was the way that, that it was explained to me behind the scenes and basically, you know, illustrating the idea that Michigan left in the, and I'm assuming the other programs in the big 10, like left in the dark, lack of communication down the chain, uh, just, that this was just kind of hastily. And I don't know how you could argue otherwise when the schedule was released, what, four days before? Yeah. You know, and so, again, whether you agree with the decision or not is irrelevant. It's really the more the fact that these parents, and I'm assuming, you know, I know the coaches and, and the players are, like, you know, want some answers as far as, like, you know, can you at least give us, you know, the the – information and the, and the, the research and the stuff that you based that you made and based this decision off of, because, you know, as you're seeing the other, some of these other uh, conferences are still planning on playing as of now, and we'll see if that holds up. But, you know, I think from, for some of these guys, the players, especially it's, it's frustrating to see that, you know, these other, these other conferences are still looking towards playing while the big 10 already just kind of packed it in and said, no, we're not even going to try, you know? And so, that's what, you know, I think that's what they're looking for. Whether it accomplishes anything or not, it remains to be seen. It's, you know, it's hard to imagine anything drastic coming out of it. But to me, it's noteworthy, though. I think it kind mm-hmm. of continues the whole idea of, of giving the players and, and the people around the players a bigger voice and, and an actual seat at the table, which I think is another area where there's a legitimate gripe about this, where it's like none of these people were uh, – consulted or even you know you know yeah. what i mean it was a completely one-sided decision and 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 again 
maybe if the Big Ten had come out and given their information, given their argument for why they wanted to shut it down now, maybe more people would understand. I'm skeptical, but maybe they would. But they have people don't even have that to bank on or to, to go back on or to look at or look up when they're, you know, explaining why this isn't going to happen. So interesting yeah. stuff. It is. It, it's it's very interesting. I I think uh, this is a very fascinating week for the future of the big 10 again my i'm gonna wait i'm not gonna expect the big 10 to change its mind because this wasn't you know it it felt like they were rushing a decision they didn't need to rush same time they did come to a consensus because not one president has spoken out against the decision yet or maybe maybe nebraska's did i can't remember which members of nebraska spoke out against things but um this this if if you know the Penn States or the Ohio States or the or the um, or the Michigans were against this, I, th- I feel like you would have heard the president say so by now. And uh, but yeah, I think my hope, you know, I, I you know we'll see what happens in terms of the season. But my hope is that in the future, players get a voice at the table. How about every team elects one player? You know, they have the Big Ten presidents' meetings. They have the Big Ten athletic director meetings. The coaches have meetings. Is there a reason the players can't be a part of that? Is there a reason that you can't have maybe one player ambassador per year from each school? And even if they're, I mean, nowadays you'd zoom in. But I got to think that would be something every team would be in favor of. And you could you it starts to get complicated because then you're like, well, what about the other fall sports? But in terms of football, I think the difference is a pretty high percentage of Big Ten football players are going to make a lot of money from this, and that's not even talking about the potential name, image, likeness discussion. I mean, these are the primary stakeholders in college football. You can have college football without school presidents, without athletic directors, without TV execs, without coaches technically i mean the very first part of college football other than the football itself is the players and so it's it's always been weird to me that these decisions just keep getting made in boardrooms in meetings these players aren't invited to and so my hope is that at least that part gets gets heard you know because there's a lot of i mean you know you kind of brought up a good point what if the big 10 did come out and and outlined all of their evidence outlined, all of the discussions, all of their decision criteria. You'd probably see a few people kind of put the torch and pitchforks away. But I think there'd still be a lot of people who are just mad because they wanted a football season and including some players, which I get. I mean, for some of them, it's their career. Uh, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of former players as, as have I, where you ask them, you know, they, they do, they do these impressive things throughout their lives, but there is nothing like that college football experience. And so, uh, and, and they don't have that while other, while their friends do. I mean, I think the perfect example is Pitt's playing football, Notre Dame's playing football, Iowa State is, are playing football in Big Ten country, but the Big Ten schools an hour away are not. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how it goes. Uh, the protest just kind of makes me chuckle. Um, you know, because <laughs> it is parent driven. You don't see. The, I, I, I guess I'll I'll have to wait and see if the players show up too. Um, I think I think the players should be the, the ultimate voice on this. But Steve, 
Mm, well, let's actually do this question. This one comes from Scott Bell, and maybe we can <laughs> lump some of the other stuff in there. But but Scott always always appreciate his questions. He says after Purdue, September fifth, Michigan has a tough stretch against Minnesota and Penn State in back to back games. What's the likelihood the boys in blue start out with a three and zero record this fall? So I am very confident they will not lose one of those games. However, I think the percentage that they'd be three and zero. I'll give it 1%. I won't say there's no chance the Big Ten reconsiders its decision, but I don't know about you, Steve. I'm kind of in a, I'll, I'll wait until they say something before I change my expectations. Um, just because, I mean, I, I've, I've, you know, whether I was a student or, you know, as a recent alum, I understand how college presidents work. They are not known for listening to the court of public opinion. They are much better known for, doing what they want and then kind of getting out of Dodge. But Steve, Steve, your thoughts on the potential for a fall season or the potential for the big 10 to reconsider. I know I did a poll the other day. I think 65% of respondents said that they would want the big 10 to at least reconsider, not necessarily um, do a fall season, not just reverse the change, but to reconsider your thoughts on, on that possibility. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty low at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's I guess one of the fascinating dynamics to me about this whole thing is is the because uh, I mean I, I don't know what, I don't know what the percentage of fans are I guess who think that they should play. I, what do you think? I mean, is it sixty five thirty five? The op so basically the reverse of that poll. Like, think that like what would you guess are the amount of fans? think that they should play this year. I bet it's over 50%. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's the reason to do it, but I I bet it is over 50% think that they should play. So I think one of the, I don't know, the the ones who, I guess this is what's been kind of ironic to me is like, it's weird. I think it, and I don't know, the people that think they shouldn't play, a lot of times are the same ones that have been saying that the, the student athletes need a bigger voice in this or in this situation yeah. just in the general situation but then yeah. it's, it kind of turns into it but not that though not that they get to play not that they don't know enough to make that decision <laughs> but they should have a bigger voice you you understand where you know where i'm going with that i do i, I do yeah i always think that's kind of an interesting uh, like an underlying dynamic to this entire thing i think that's been kind of interesting to see uh play out you know and and you know, because it, it would be interesting because I think the opposite is also true. I agree. Suddenly you have I, people uh, who, who are I, like, listen to these players who have yep. been saying, I, you know, 100 percent <laughs> agree. I don't disagree at all. I think that's it's spot on. You know, the ones saying that they shouldn't be able to unionize and uh, shouldn't, you know, uh, you know, shouldn't get any compensation or anything like that are the ones that are clamoring for them to play. Uh, but that's what's so it's so fascinating about this whole thing. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just so much. Uh, hypocrisy contradiction and and like some of the viewpoints of these with some of the people out there my thought is I'm more in the camp of not so much I don't really fall into either of those two camps it's more for me it's like you can see how badly the players want to play I don't know why they don't at least give it a shot I guess this is one of those things that nobody's stopping anybody who doesn't want to play from playing everyone has the option to opt out correct um Mm -hmm. 
I'm kind of, I've still sort of in the camp that, I mean, if these guys want to give it a, a try hard enough, you know, they're just, to me, there was no effort to try to come together. Like you said, we've talked about the lack of communication. There was no effort to even kind of come together with between whether it's players and coaches and the, in the, um, bureaucratic, uh, the, the, the administration, the administration, yeah. you know, to, to maybe try to come up with a plan to give it a whirl, you know? And so, um, but either way, I think, the, I think I pretty much, I think the decision's pretty much been made. I'll be very surprised if there's any kind of reversal, but I'm with you though. I don't think it's a zero sum, you yeah. know, situation. There is a, there is a schedule out there still, I guess that they could abide <laughs> by. I don't, I, I suspect if obviously if there was a, a reversal of any kind, it, the season would be delayed to where it originally was going to be. But, um, you know, cause I'm still of the camp that I think if they're going to give it a try, I'd rather them give it a try in the fall than try to play two seasons in the, in the 2021 calendar year. I just think it's, you know, I don't know. I've seen some of the plans and stuff. They're not bad. I, I think there's, it's definitely brought out some creativity, but I just, you know, you're talking playing in the spring and then fall ball or fall camp is like six, eight weeks later, uh, nine weeks later, you know, it's just kind of, right. Know interesting you know but low chance for sure yeah yeah as far as the spring i actually like brome jeff brome's plan purdue coach uh it calls for 18 total games and it's shortening the fall season and then i think it's an eight game spring season so it'd be 18 total games and then i think unless you're playing for the national championship my understanding was that you would have five months between games which is not as many as you're used to, but I, I do, I do wonder, I, I, again, my, my rule is oft, often, what do the players think? Because right. I can sit here on my couch. I can cover games less than five months apart. That's pretty easy to do, but it's up to the players. And, and I would, I would say, I would, I, you know, if I were the big 10, I would field public opinion from the players saying, is this something that you would sign up to do? Or would you, or would you not want to? Cause I think the one thing about the opt-out, everyone can opt-out, is you, you start to worry, and this is the concern with the liability, is that if, if these players waive, sign the liability waivers or whatever, I think Tom Mars is coming up with some way to um, not you know, to take the liability off the Big Ten or something. The, the concerns I have are, one, do teams coerce players to play? I mean, because it's one thing to say, uh, you know, back up, you know, sophomore on the on the depth chart is opting out. It's another thing when it's a future first round pick, and so or or even someone who isn't necessarily a first round pick, but it's like a third round pick that you're kind of like, oh, you should probably you know, the, do the coaches try to get these players to play? And then the other thing is, do schools, if there isn't a liability on their hands, do they lower their standards as far as health protocols and safety protocols? Those would be the main two concerns. I mean. My thing, though, is the Big Ten, I, they, I said it before they made the decision, they probably have enough evidence to not play. And, you know, just with the hospitalizations, with the death tolls, with the um, kind of the lack of a decline. Now, there is starting to be a decline in, in case rates and positivity rates, but um, they probably had enough evidence. And I think even while we did this podcast, Michigan State opted to go fully online classes this fall. 
And we've seen what happened at North Carolina. We've seen what happened at Notre Dame. It's, it's a really steep task to try to keep this thing under control while having this college experience. And so does football need to happen in, in that context? And, and, you know, to, to a football player. Yeah. Cause it's their career, but to, to what's, what's good for the, the campus and society overall. Um, I, I, I think they had enough evidence and unfortunately or unfortunately or fortunately, whether it's, you know, goes with what is correct or not correct. I think the presidents are just going to kind of clap their hands, dust their hands and just say, that's, that's that, you know, there's a lot of tough decisions made in 2020. It's, football is a game. And so, yeah, there's a part of me that wonders though, with, with how much revenue is involved in this football with, with how, I think just how strong the groundswell has been from players and parents. I, I do start to wonder, I don't think it's a 0% chance. Um, let's see. I, I don't think we had any other questions, so that might do it for this. But yeah, it's going to be two two things to watch for if you're a Michigan fan this week. One, are there more decisions that follow Mayfield's? Other players have decisions to make. I don't know if they want to make them this early. Uh, there are some benefits to it. There are some benefits to waiting. And then also, what happens with the Big Ten, uh, with, with parents? I mean, I think almost half the conference has hand-delivered letters to the Big Ten offices. Um, fascinating times. Fascinating stuff. And so, so we'll see what happens. Uh, anything else to add, Steve, from the last few days? No, I'm good. Okay, cool, cool. So for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Be sure to uh, share this podcast if you, you, if you liked it. Be sure to subscribe if you liked it and you want to enjoy our future podcasts. We also have a recruiting podcast and a basketball podcast, all of which are coming out at least once a week. Be sure to check out all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Lots of stuff on everything we talked about today and then obviously anything else that comes up. I believe we're hearing from Carlo Kemp and Nick Eubanks yep. tomorrow, first, first player press conference of 2020. So that'll be fun. Uh, get their thoughts on all of this as well. But hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.